back to the bin. Relatively Geeky presents the present and future of comic book retailing. At the same time as Back to the Bins presents Comics Economics. At the same time, FW presents on the Firewater Podcast Network presents Comic Retailer Smack Talk. Rob, introduce yourself. Oh. (laughs) And this is Rob Lance from Comic Connection in Ontario, Canada. I have no blog. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing. He he is too busy working at a comic book store. I am too busy. To podcast and blog. So we might as well uh, explain what we're doing here. And uh, I, I don't mean to take the bull by the horns, but I'm taking the bull by the horns, guys. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with Alan Middleton, Shag Matthews, and Rob Lance. And we are here at the suggestion of Professor Allen to talk about comics economics. I just like the rhyme, so I keep saying it. And we are here on the multiple platforms. You keep doing that. It'll it'll catch on. Yeah, sure. We're here on multiple platforms to just discuss past, past, present, and future of comics retailing right now. And I'm going to start off by saying I probably have the least credentials to be in this group. Uh, I've been a comics consumer since 1974, and I've been pretty active since then, but that really is my credentials, that I have been a consumer for that time. I've never been on the business end of it, and that's where I take a backseat to these gentlemen, and why don't you each give your credentials now? Well, let me say, you know, for, for me, I'm uh, Professor Alan Middleton, and you know, my experiences, my first experiences with uh, with comic books, a lot of it was mail order subscriptions direct from the publisher, or in the early days of Mile High Comics, I was a subscriber to their new issue comics express. It spelled out nice, so if that spells out nice, then that's <laughs> that's what it was for for a good eight or ten years, and I haven't had a a comic book store, a pull list until about two or three years ago. So as people uh, may have been fleeing the the comic stores for uh, whatever reasons, uh, Emily and I were among the few people that uh, the new 52 was a jumping on point. And then uh, Rebirth as well. I think they were fleeing uh, because you showed up. (laughs) That's just probably right. (laughs) So so my experiences with with, uh, comic book stores have actually been more often than not, pretty recent. Well, I'm the Irredeemable Shag, uh, and I have been a comic reader since uh, 1983. Been doing this for far, far too long. I should have grown up a long time ago. But uh, my experience where it's going to relate to this was I managed a comic book store from 1992. I uh, actually started in 91. I should say the end of 91, and was there through the beginning of 96. So I was there as the speculators came in and during the comic book boom of the 90s, and I was also there during the bust. So I got to see both sides of that and live through the trenches of that. And since then, and around the same time I was in college and I got my marketing degree, and so sales and marketing have always been fascinating to me. So I've, I've kept my toe in just sort of fascinated with my interest of how comic book retailing works. I've got a lot of close friends that are retailers, and uh, I'm, I love to talk, and so... Combine all of that together. <laughs> and uh, I'm Rob, and right now, currently, I work 
in a retail comic shop. And my history with comics goes back to probably the age of eight, when my father started bringing home coverless copies that he was given from a paper pulping place that he would deliver gas to. Um, from then, my love of comics grew um, to every the tradition of every Sunday I would uh, walk to the store to buy my dad a pack of cigarettes and be able to have the change. Yeah, back in those days, I was able to have the change, but I was never able to buy candy, pop, anything, soda, as you guys would call it. But I was allowed to buy a comic. Um, and That is good that parenting all the way around. That, that was good parenting. I was, and I wasn't even smoking on the way back any of his cigarettes. So it was, it was good. <laughs> but um and it's funny because um you know I, I don't want to go off on a rant here but um comics have always been important in our family and i still have all my comics from the ones even my dad gave me i still have all my coverless copies um which blows people's minds in the sense of so many moms throughout many comics as we got older or we got rid of them ourselves. But there was a story that my mom told me when I was a little guy. And this was her love of comics because of my dad's love of comics. When they first met, when they were 19, um, the first time my mother ever went to my father's house, she was mortified <laughs> because he had stacks and stacks of comics all through his small little tiny apartment and i mean four feet high he had a bay window that was just stuffed with comics and my mom was gonna throw them out and my dad was like no 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 and as my mom and dad got to know each other as young people my mom finally realized my father couldn't read and she was like well how do you have all these comics and he said i just look at the pictures so my mom taught my dad how to read by using those comics and my mom actually realized what an important tool they can be you know and that's how i was always able to keep my collection intact for this long and that love of comics and that passion for comics just came full circle and it's one of those cases where i like to say sure i could have worked in a comic store at 16 but i was a dork so, um, you know, <laughs> I would have screwed it up, but it came full circle. And now I get to do this. Um, uh, I get to pass on this love to other people now. And I really enjoy my job. And comics are very important and very dear to me. Uh, Rob, that was I don't want to break this to you, but that's the kind of story that ends an episode. Uh, we're <laughs> supposed to be going out now with the Hulk music yeah. playing. Um, that was incredible. You're supposed to power. save that one. Yeah, sorry. That is, that, that is awesome. That's incredible. What a story. I'm not crying. Uh, you're crying. I, I can't touch any of that, but I will back you up, Rob, as far as the comic shop employee experience. I've had a hand, good handful of jobs over the years, and in all my experiences, working in a comic book shop was absolutely my favorite job. Whether it was interacting with kids or just having customers who came in because they wanted to be there. They were excited to come in, and they looked to you to say, what's good, what's crap, what's, you know, what's hot, what shouldn't we buy, and just have conversations. And then you get into stupid arguments about who's stronger, the Hulk or you know, Thor. And um, I loved every aspect of it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's I, wonderful, actually. 
Hope and I can strong. agree with Rob on this, and that is that coverless comics are the best comics. <laughs> yeah. Well, you shouldn't have to pay for coverless comics, though, because that means somebody mailed back the cover and got their <laughs> refund. And if you're selling a coverless comic, that means they're doing shady business. But I noticed Rob said they were given to his dad. So there you go. And I'm pretty sure that the ones I'm buying out of the quarter bins nowadays from 40 years ago, I think maybe the statute of limitations has run out on that. Oh, no, I'm turning you in. <laughs> Jack, Rob's going to call the Mounties on you. Citizens Possessing, arrest. But, but, but possession of stolen property. That's right. So I guess, you know, why don't we start with our earliest experiences with comic stores? Oh, comic shops in the eighties. Yes, you're just like the Simpsons. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring it first because I had the earliest experience because I had comic shops in the seventies. Did they have electricity back then? <laughs> you know, and the, the funny thing is, people think that comic shops did not exist in the seventies, but they did. They were not the way they are now. They were. I don't, the first store that I started to frequent was on 86th Street in Brooklyn, on the corner of 86th Street and 19th Avenue. It had a big sign in the front that said, Books. And that was it. And when, and when you came in, it had that mildewy smell, you know, of, the, of old books. And along the walls were paperbacks, you know, on, on shelves. And there were, you know, I, I don't know, probably a trillion of them. But in the center of the store were wooden bins with you know with sliders so they were like three high and they were loaded up with comics and they were all marked on the uh comics code authority spot with a black marker as to what the price was usually 25 cents sometimes 50 if it was yes. a better book <laughs> this is in the 70s though so this is when you would be doing the nickel bin podcast <laughs> then you know the more premium books he'd have behind the counter and i remember i would go in and my my want was to get Spider-Man issues. That was the, you know, the focus of my collecting. But I was getting, you know, a ton of different things. But if I went in there with, say, $10, which would be a lot of money at the time for me, I would probably spend about four in the 25-cent bins and then about two or three more behind the counter where I would buy books for a dollar each. And those would be books like, say, Spider-Man 105, 106, 107, in that range where they'd go for a dollar each because those were the premium books. And the nice thing about the premium books was they didn't have anything written on the uh, Comics Code Authority. So they were in somewhat better condition. And that was the only store I knew of for about three years. And me and my buddies used to travel to Mensoners to go to that store. And we got to know the owner who, you know, tolerated us. And, uh, you know, we would go there at least once every other week, more often once a week or so. And then and if you had money left over, you'd pick up cigarettes for Rob's dad. I wasn't totally paying attention. <laughs> if, if possible, Rob's dad was next on our list. But, you know, then, then eventually another store opened up closer to home. And, you know, we started going there. And they had a similar setup, only it was just more modern as far as the store went. And then eventually around, I guess it was around 1980, 1981, they started with pull lists there. And I had, you know, I had a pull list at that time. Until around 1985 or 86 when I became, you know, too old and mature to collect comics anymore. So I stopped. And uh, I stopped from then up until the uh, death of Superman. So Shag brought me back in. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a guy. You missed all the good years. You, you left <laughs> at the end of the Bronze Age and came back in the bust era. Wow. Yeah, but, but to me, the Bronze Age is the good years. So I, I was there till the end of the Bronze Age. So I'm, I'm still kind of cool with when I was there. And you know, you, you talk about finding you know finding your joy. 
And mm-hmm. to me, the Bronze Age is my joy. That's awesome. Someone's got to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love the Bronze Age. So that, that's that's well, Alan, my comic shop experience. That and going to hotel shows in the late 70s. Oh, yeah? So that's the, for me, a lot of it was was the, the, the one-day con at the Holiday Inn is where I did a lot of my shopping. Then eventually, comic stores you know were opening up early to mid-80s. And uh, one in particular that I remember, I lived in suburban uh, Washington, D.C. In, 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 in Maryland. And the big trek, there's a couple local stores nearby, and literally the drugstore at the corner uh, had comics as well. But uh, I remember going to the big store, which was in Baltimore, and that was, I sort of pieced together after the fact, was the store owned by uh, Steve Jeppy. Wow. Eventually did, I guess, Diamond, eventually. Yeah. So a uh, so I, I knew him when. And uh, <laughs> it was a pretty um, – I, I remember it being a two-story store, a big store. And I don't remember much other than boxes and boxes of comics. Probably a lot of Carl Barks, Donald Duck. <laughs> Good, that's right. That's right. Could be. Uh, so that was my. So it was. It was a. No, it was a clean store. It was, I mean, it was a beautiful store. So Are you paying uh, more than a quarter. You know, possibly. <laughs> don't don't tell Stella. That's our main deal, Shag. This is <laughs> between us. <laughs> and then uh, I really didn't have quote unquote a store. I mean, I talked about doing a mail order and, and uh, like Paul said, the, the one day shows and that sort of thing. Probably the closest thing I had to a store was uh, there was a shop a mile or so away from the, uh, from college, from the college campus. So I'd walk up there every now and then. And that's where I picked up, you know, that, that, that was the mid eighties boom of, of really, I maybe the first wave of independence, ton of black and whites, you know, Books that would have an issue one and maybe an issue two a few months later, and then that's about it. Or they'd show the character would show up again on another publisher six months later. So I have lots of collections like that, or I have issue one, three, and eight <laughs> of something that was published over a four-year period. Uh, but that was that was a delight to really experience, and that you know, that that indie, that nascent indie boom. And then I was lucky enough to be out of comics from about 91 to 2004. And if you're going to pick a 13, 14-year period to be out of comics, I think I nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did. You are not wrong. Well, I'll uh, I'll tell a quick abbreviated version of I've, I've said this before in other podcasts, so forgive me. But how I got into comics because I have a bit of a unique origin, I think, uh, for as getting, becoming a comic reader. Um, I, of course, I had been aware of comics. I had seen comics. I'd gotten the occasional comic. I bought some Star Wars comics, whatever. But as far as a collector goes, it was sixth grade. It was a new school. I was getting to know middle school. I was getting to know these kids uh, in my classes, and they were discussing something I don't know called Secret Wars. Had never heard of it. And they were talking about, you know, they mentioned Spider-Man and Doctor Doom. Okay, I'd heard of them on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. But then they started talking about Galactus and Ultron and Magneto. I'm like, what are they? what's a Magneto? What's all this? And they viciously picked on me for not knowing. He said, hey, go back and talk more about Doctor Doom. Right. Oh, I should have. Yeah, it should have been my segue. But they, uh, they, they were just vicious that I didn't know who these characters were. I was embarrassed. So I went home and went to the local grocery st- uh, convenience store, came across Secret Wars number two, not volume two, but issue number two. And I picked it up and I, you know, and I've been buying comics ever since. And so the unique aspect is 
I actually got bullied into collecting comics in the 80s. Usually, it's the comic collector who gets bullied. The other way around. I got bullied by comic collectors. How strange is that? So, um, <laughs> my first comic book store experience is not the best. It really was uh, very much the Simpsons sort of comic book shop. It was a little store in Tallahassee called The Grinning Gremlin. And these guys, they had a, I mean, they at the, at the start off, they, I think they were the only game in town. But I guess they catered more to the mature collector, maybe not adult, but more mature collector, because they didn't seem to really like having kids around. And after a while of watching them to be kind of rude to me, my mom basically told them off, and we stormed out after shopping there for a few months. And she found another comic shop across town, and from there, I just was found out that we had three or four comic shops. And eventually, uh, about four years after that, I started working at one. So, And that was, uh, oh, no, a little more than four years. Either way, that was a, a wonderful experience. So. And my the shop I work at is still in business after all these years, by the way. Oh, impressive. You didn't run it into the ground. No, I think I did, but he salvaged it after I left. He kept compl- – he, to this day you'll, – you'll like this, Alan. To this day, he still complains about how many copies of Aquaman I ordered. <laughs> <laughs> He's – I mean, maybe now he can – maybe, maybe. Yep. Rob. And um, my um, – I remember I was 13 when uh, it was it was uh, at 13. It was a huge upheaval and we had moved. We moved from the somewhat outside the inner city out to the suburbs and new friends. um, I thought for sure being, you know, a comic kid, I was going to have a tough go of it. But I made some quick friends. it happened. I think it so happened that I was a year older than everybody else because I was held back in grade seven due to my own inability to uh, conform. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, it, which was great, which the move was great in that sense. But I met a, a couple guys and um, we all were kind of into comics together. So, my first comic store experience. Um, we snuck out onto the bus and went a few a few miles to a comic store that we had only heard of. Um, and it was great. It was a nice, clean store. It was in a strip mall, so brightly lit and, you know, nice rows. I remember original artwork up on the walls even back in the day, which, of course, didn't interest me back then. And I could kick my butt for not being interested now. Um but that was my first experience. But after that, we heard rumors about comic book stores in downtown Toronto. Now at 1314, to go downtown was a faux pas. So we, we did. We snuck down there and we went to Queen Street, which is now a very uh, gentrified and hip part of Toronto. But back then it was very seedy. It was basically head shops porn shops and the odd comic store stuck in between and not really comic stores. They were, uh, as Paul said, dingy, dark. The guy behind the counter usually had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Um, just eyeballed us, but we found so many treasures down there. And, uh, I know my mom's going to listen to this and kill me because she doesn't know this, but, uh, we, we managed to never get caught up until now. So I'm going to be the only 49-year-old that's going to be grounded for the next couple of months. 
but those were my first experiences. Um, yeah, and uh, it was Nirvana actually, but uh, a, a quiet, celebrated Nirvana within myself because I didn't <laughs> want to get my ass beat. <laughs> but uh, See, yeah, that was my first experience. You know, that's the risk we're running putting this episode out on three different feeds. I mean, I'm sure yeah. Rob's mom subscribes to at least one of us, right? So exactly. that's a problem. Thankfully, my mom doesn't. I'm safe. <laughs> the other day, my mom said to me, do you still have all those comics? So, <laughs> yes, mom, I do. In fact, I keep getting new ones. <laughs> or new well, I say, uh, uh, no, my, my, uh, my mom passed away about uh, 12 years ago now. and But I, I say now, if... Uh, if if we told her that I would be, I would have a reputation on the <laughs> internet for liking cheap comic books, she would not be surprised. Let's <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> this is not something new. <laughs> Let's be fair. You've cultivated that reputation. <laughs> Lies and deceit. Hey. hey. <laughs> Actually, one. Uh, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, just sort of just give a brief overview of the type of shops that we have around here, because uh, we have six or seven shops around here. And again, like I said, a couple of years ago, uh, Emily and I were in the market to find the store to have our, our pull list at. And so we sort of did a quick you know, survey of sort of all the types of stores. Uh, there were a uh, couple of stores that are big and bright and well-staffed. And really expensive. <laughs> you know, nothing is more every every new book is cover price at least. Uh, not a discount bin to be had, and lots of lots of merch as well on the on the more expensive side uh, as as well. You know, you get everything from that to the you know teeny tiny. You can barely you know turn around. The store is so cramped and and dark, and sort of everything in between, including one the one nearest to us. The one that would be the most convenient, uh, you know, over the course of uh, during uh, during the new fifty two, we would go in a couple times a month, and you know, we didn't have a pull list, but would buy buy some books. So I'd been in the store maybe two dozen times, and the guy at the counter, I don't think we ever made eye contact. He never oh, asked gosh. a single question. He may have oh. said thank you if I said thank you to him first. Oh. And it's just when it when it comes to really deciding, we're gonna plunk down thirty bucks a month. It wasn't there, and the one we went, the one we ended up with, a little further away, it has quarter bins, <laughs> and do, and dollar bins, and we order enough that we get a discount on our pull list, and the guys are nice. They know our names at this point and make some recommendations. And when we wanted the, you know, so-and-so variant on something or another, no big deal. Easy, easy to work with. Easy, you know, just and that that customer service made all the difference in the world, as did the cheap bins. That helped. Okay, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Well, I I tell you, I used to say this to our employees at the comic shop. This is 20 years ago. Still holds true today. What you're selling in the store, someone else can buy right down the street the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's going to keep them coming, unless there's some sort of financial situation there where you're getting some significant discount, the only thing that's going to keep them coming back is the customer service. And without that, you're lost. So, mm-hmm. and By the way, Absolutely. I just remembered, I, I, could give a te- I, can a- I can actually have a testimonial. So, uh, we all know Scott Rifen, 
right, from Dinner mm-hmm. for Geeks. He was one of my former mm-hmm. customers, so he can give a testimonial for uh, <laughs> for me. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Uh, though. If if price is all equal, I am going to seek out the store where they're friendly and and you can enjoy your time there. Uh, I don't I don't want the store where they make you feel. You know, like I always compare it to the uh, the barroom scene in uh, American Werewolf in London. If, mm. if you're familiar with that, right? Yes. You know, where, yep. where you're the outsider and everybody's kind of staring at you when you're in there. Uh, I I also don't want the store where they're going to be overly helpful. Where you know you you can't look at something in peace without them asking if they can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, I want the store where there's going to be a conversation going on. I can join in it or I can stay out of it. I can kind of do what I choose, uh, and that the people will be overall friendly. Uh, I, I don't mind the comment on what I'm buying. You know, I don't I don't mind if they say, "Oh, you know, Bronze Age or whatever," and they strike up a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. I just don't want I don't want a place where they're going to be either you know unwilling to let you in. Or too willing to let you in. I want kind of, kind of somewhere in the middle. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, wasn't it, uh, Shag? Wasn't that you said uh, at your store you always had to say something positive? <laughs> yes. I even I, if. I, yep. Well, that, that was the rule. I told my employees like whenever someone's buying something, you have to say something at least nice about what they're buying. Because I used to go up there before I was working there, and the guy literally would go through my stack and go crap crap as he's throwing the comics down crap crap why do you buy this oh that's not too bad crap crap i mean he labeled my comics as crap and it made me feel bad about buying them so i had a philosophy of when someone comes up to buy you go oh you know i just read this you know you don't lie but you say something like oh yeah that's a great new issue or oh yeah they introduced a new character in this one or oh they've been talking about this one well unfortunately in the 90s you get to the point where you're like the coloring's really good in this issue you know um, <laughs> the paper stock on this one man right. top notch <laughs> But, but yeah. yeah, you're um, you're absolutely right, and I mean it still rings true today. Um, every customer that walks in my door, I know in in my heart, I know no matter what their choice is, they value that, and I have to value that choice. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Reading everything, of course, I have my opinions. We all will. We're, we, this book may not be right for me, but it may be a fantastic book for them. And um, I've garnered, I'll be honest, a lot of the customers I've garnered in the store actually have come due to the problems that we're talking about at other stores. I've had people walk in cold and say, I had a pull list at such and such. I went to get my books. Two of the hottest books this week were gone out of there. And yeah. Or or I ordered this case of toys. When I got it home, I opened it up. The short pack toy wasn't in there. They opened it up, replaced it with one of the regular figures. So I get, I've heard the horror stories. And I mean, I try to go out of my way to know my customers, to always put in their hands order whatever they like there's 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 no boundaries on what you want to order um and it's it as as shag said say something positive it doesn't hurt to be positive and and knowing that somebody is there that like you said they're coming to your store they picked you they picked you for some reason they picked you and then word of mouth goes from there i think um one of the one of the achievements I'm most proud of this year is somebody had pointed, a customer had pointed me out to 
a site that's online called Comic Book Safe Spaces. And I had no knowledge of this site. And I was pointed and went and read the write-up on our store. And this is this is a website that basically takes every city in every major metropolis and lists all the comic stores that are friendly to any gender, any race, any any quality you have. And there was a fantastic write-up in there that mentioned me twice. And I came home and I felt so proud. And it made my five years at the time of the store all matter. I mean, it was great. And to be on that site and to have a great you know, write up and look at all the other stores that aren't on there. Um, that makes all the difference in the world. That's the stuff that makes me get up every morning and dance to work. Dance terribly, but dance to work. <laughs> that that so. and the that and the Tim Hortons. See now that, that's oh, something that I'm thinking of though, uh, Rob. Is a lot of people who work in comic stores, much like a lot of professionals who produce comics do so because they have a love of the medium. Absolutely. They don't do so because they're terrific businessmen. In fact, if they were terrific <laughs> businessmen, they probably would have picked a different business. Uh, <laughs> now, some of them are inherently decent guys and know how to you know, treat customers the right way and, and to, to do business well, but some of them are just comic collectors who wanted to have a store. And I find yes. that some of those ones are the ones who who where you feel it's a little forbidding when you walk into the store. It's almost like they're more concerned with what their interests are in comics than they are with running a good store. So right. if, if you're if you're picking up a book that they don't like, I mean and Chegg, you kinda hit on this. If you're picking up a book that they don't like, they almost look down at you for doing it. Meanwhile you're putting money in their pocket. And and it's, it's just in your if, hard if, to conceive if, of. If the book's that bad, why is it in your store? Exactly. <laughs> if somebody's gotta buy it, it's in a scope. Yes. Um, I have um, Polis customers, probably offhand, I have 20 of them, that all I have is their name on a backing board. And they put their trust in me as I go through the previews every month, know what fits in their wheelhouse and ordering in the right things and getting it in their pull box and surprising them with that and them coming back and thanking me the following week or two. It's, it's, you're right. It, 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 it's not what I want or what I want to read or what interests me. It's knowing each and every individual and tailoring what I order for them. Uh, sure, DC and Marvel, I can put it on the shelf. It it sells itself. When I get into the image and the dark horse and stuff, it gets a little tricky. And I understand where some stores don't want to order that stuff or won't order that stuff or won't take that chance. But are they really setting themselves up to fail in ordering that stuff because they're not taking the time that I'm taking the time to do? Um. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy pleasing people. But yeah, I mean, like our direct competitor in town, which isn't too close, but he's moved further and further away. Um, he's changed the dynamic of his store in the sense of he's moved his stores into shopping centers and they've become boutique stores. 
And this is where I got a lot of my customers from to begin with because the comics were lacking. And as we were saying before we started the show, um, these are places that are manned by 15, 16 year olds that no acknowledgement when you walk in the store, no knowledge, and they're just there as a cashier to ring you up. Um, it's a little heartbreaking when I get the stories or when I hear about people that go to the store. I mean, and this will probably roll into some stuff we talk about later, but it's almost like, are those stores there to exist as a comic store or are they there to facilitate the casual fan per se? The grandmas and grandpas looking for birthday presents? Well, that, and that's an interesting they... aspect of it right now because a lot of the stores that I frequent, well, not so much the ones I frequent, but a lot of the ones I've stopped into, no longer seem to cater to the comic book fan or comic book collector. It's almost like no. some of them pay lip service to comic books and they're more into servicing the pop culture fan. Yes. Yes. And with the climate of... Um, I guess the, the comic world um, is it, it, what I'm trying to say is, are those stores part of the means to the end in the sense of where we may be tackling? Are we in the advent of another 90s, as uh, Shag said? You know, it's an interesting question. It, taking it a little further, um, it, it's, it's not just limited to these boutique comic shops. You go to larger big box retailers such as books a million or even like hot topic both of those make a tremendous amount of money off of comic book related merchandise um hot topic doesn't sell any comics but they sure sell a lot of deadpool t-shirts you know and yes. your books a millions do sell a lot of comic books at least the books a million in my town has a section that's probably i don't know 30 feet long two and on two sides of comic book graphic novels um and as Professor Allen will point out, that's before you even get to the manga section. And they've got comic book T-shirts and posters and magnets and you know every and pop vinyl figures. They, it is basically a large big box comic book shop combined with a bookstore. And is that a model that's going to shut down the comic shops, or is that a smarter model for where comic shops need to go given the changes in the market? I, I don't have that answer, um, Rob. I imagine it, it goes against everything you believe in because of what you're doing in your comic shop. But I do know when I can't drive across town to my comic shop, I don't mind going to Books a Million. It's kind of fun because my kids go look at the kids' books. My wife goes and looks at the books she wants to look at. And, oh, look, I'm in comic book heaven. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder how much, uh, you know, we certainly there are folks who are switching to, in terms of new comics. You know, a, a percentage switches to uh, to digital. But I, I sense a, a group also switches from pardon the phrase, floppies, to trades. Mm -hmm. And they might not be buying those at the comic store. Right. You know, I mean, a comic store, trades sell, but I, I don't sense, and Rob, you can answer this, uh, to, to some extent, all of our experience at the store I, I, I'm at, I don't sense that they stock, you know, sort of general trade paperbacks. You know, the, if, if you order it, if that's the way that you're, that you're uh, you know, purchasing or collecting they'll, they'll order it for you but to me that's where your barnes and noble or as you said books a million uh, or or for us half price books you know for discount trades mm -hmm. but again that to me that that's where i see the shelves of trades are not at the comic store 
No, true enough. Um, and um, uh, yes, with our one big book chain that we have up here, um, they uh, again, they have probably, you know, I'd say a 25, 30 foot section of hardcovers and trade paperbacks also, and also a section of ma- a manga. Um, now, uh, I think... I have more people come in. I I probably sell when it comes to trades right now. um, I'm probably selling more trades that are I'd consider independent comics as opposed to the big two. Uh, DC does very well um, with Rebirth. I cannot keep those in stock. Marvel trades, in all honesty, I base my ordering of Marvel trades on the single issues sold, basically. Mm-hmm. So I know for a fact, without even thinking about it, I will order two copies of the new Amazing Spider-Man trade. That will come out. It's, it's, it's an easy sell. But when it comes to, you know, a Luke Cage, I may very well not bring it in. In the sense of, I ordered six copies of the floppy and sold one over the course of the 18 weeks it takes it to move from the front room Mm. into the back room where it goes in the back issue bins. I mean, we try to keep everything priced at cover price for as long as possible. And technically, with the way I have it worked out, it's pretty much 18 weeks that that book will de- be displayed at the U.S. cover we sell everything for mm. as a, before it even makes its way into a bin. So when I have something that I ordered six of and I have five that languish for 17 weeks, I'm not apt to order that trade. However, but I think where the, the big box stores come into play, most certainly um, to go in and find it, more readily yeah they can they can order more copies than us for sure they 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 can do that um on that level but they may order everything and they may not sell maybe 30 percent of that ever ever um i have to fine-tune it a little bit more but absolutely are they an entity too yes and i've sent customers to the big box for i may not i may have run out of the newest walking dead trade and they know they can just drive two blocks away and pick up a copy for the same price. And they know that there's probably eight to 12 of them on the shelf for sure. As opposed to wait two weeks. I understand that you may have a birthday, you may have a gift to give, or you may just have to read it. And I just happen to sell my 10 copies of it. And like every other retailer on planet earth, right. Especially on <laughs> trades, you're competing with Amazon. Yep. Yes. Yes. That, that um, is an easy place to find and order trades as well. It, it, it sure is. I mean, I, I think of anything, um, I have more people say to me, I'd rather buy it from you than buy it from Amazon. And that that is more the testament to the loyalty of the customer to us with the loyalty we put into them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have many people that, you know, I mean, th- this goes back to um, – People being proactive, which we hear from many comic stores where pull lists build up or people don't come and buy what they they ordered. 
you know, many of my customers are proactive. I leave a copy of previews on the counter every day. And when it comes time to order, I like I leave a marker with it and I go through that page per page and I have names written down by things that they want to pre-order. They're being proactive for me. They're, they're doing part of my job for me, which is awesome. And I'm doing my part in making sure that that day it comes out, it's in their bin, even though they may have forgotten because it was two months in advance. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I do, uh, Amazon is an entity. Um, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, they're all entities, and they always will exist. And for, for some people don't even know of comic stores. I still have people to this day that come in and go, this is a comic store. And I'm like, yes, it is. Did the Did name you know Comic that? Connection? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, hey, I get a lot away? of phone calls, people thinking I'm a comedy club sometimes. So, okay, okay. You know. right, right. That's well, one, one more one more uh, quick thought on the on the big box stores is uh, sooner or later the the fandom or the bubble is going to burst on the interest in comic books. It, everything's yes, cyclical. Um, yes. you know, sooner or later, we're going to get another run of Catwoman and Electra movies or uh, Batman and Robin or whatever it takes mm-hmm. to kill this popularity. And that section in Borders, or I'm sorry, Borders and Around, Books a Million or Barnes and Noble or Chapters, as you mentioned, is going to shrink. Hot Topics is going to stop selling Deadpool shirts. You know, it's going to be gonna whatever, flip the over whatever, we, whatever the new hotness is. Exactly. Right. And where does that leave the comic book market at that point? Um, I can honestly say. Um, I mean, the, the, okay, this may be coming out earlier than we expected, but the elephant in the room is, is the Marvel issue that is out there and people are talking about it. Um, it's either an issue or a non-issue from whatever perspective people want to take. Um, I seen that coming months ago and my boss, why don't you tell him what the issue is? (sighs) Marvel sales are, and I can only Speak really for myself. I mean, the internet can tell you what you will, but my own experience is Marvel's sales are plummeting rapidly. And that is in, as they say, that's in my store. I've had people walk in and outright say to me, um, take all the Marvel books off my pull list. Um, I never question their judgment. That it's entirely up to them. Um, the one example I can give is two of my best female customers. Um, one being twenty-four, the other one being eighteen now, seventeen at the time. Both walked in on the same Wednesday within five minutes of each other, and the first one said, "Rob, can you take?" all these Marvel books off my list. And I said, uh, certainly. And I did. And I said, do you want to add anything? And she did. She added uh, five. She replaced five Marvels with five DC. Okay. So lateral move. And then I had the next girl come in who incidentally actually helps me out on free comic book day and free Halloween comic book day. Um, she's been a customer of mine since she was uh 13, I guess. And she said the same thing. And I said, okay, um, come come with me. So I got them both together and I said, okay, let me, let me ask you both something. I said, why 
do you want to take those books off your list? I said, I'm not judging. I just, I, I just want you both to tell me honestly. And I said, because when I sit down and I read the internet, uh, you guys are the demographic that some of these books are for. And they both looked at me right in the face and said they felt that they were being pandered to. So I couldn't argue with that. And I said, good enough. And that, I'll be honest, as I said, I've seen it coming. And it was time, I said to the boss, we have to start shoring up this. I said, and now the procedure, the way it works in our store is new comics come out. They go on a shelf. They move down a shelf. They move down another shelf. And they go through eight weeks on the wall. And then I have a three-way, so a three-sided rack, almost like a magazine rack, where I can also stack issues. So, as I said, 18 weeks of FaceTime for these books. Now, when it gets to the bottom shelf of the eighth week is when I have to start cutting back some of the copies that I put in the three-way. So, if I'm left with 10, I have to take eight of those and put them in the back room not eight copies necessarily into a back issue bin but they i have a special room where back stock goes and it's all alphabetized so i take eight of those 10 that are left and put them in a box and three stay on the shelf after the 18 weeks those three if they're still left there or two i have to fit them somewhere so i may be able to fit two in the back issue bin but the third one now all of a sudden goes in with the eight that I've already put in that back stock, and now I have nine. Let me let me jump in just for a second. Yeah. These are books that you have paid for, right? That are non-returnable and are sitting right. there unsold. These that are I, these are money losers for you. I am I am now paying rent on. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, we had to take, and, and as I said. I think with this last launch that Marvel had where the champions team was put forth and it was put on posters and it was put on the front of previews magazine is when I felt the tide turn and I felt it within myself and I was reaffirmed from my customer base when I had people come in and say, I don't even recognize any of these characters and it's it's somewhat it, it it brings a bit of a tear to your eye in the sense of uh, I, I never want anybody to not like comics i never want anybody to walk away from the hobby because they're frustrated or they they feel betrayed and i think through my customer base i felt a lot of betrayal from the company i also felt a little bit of betrayal now with these issues that were piling up and piling up i had to do something so i started to tighten up the numbers as it stands right now with this legacy relaunch which is not really a relaunch um prior to the whole lenticular cover legacy kerfuffle i guess the nicest way i was bringing in for example captain america I was bringing in eight copies, and if I sold six of them, it was a joyous moment. As the legacy hit, which we did not buy into the percentage lenticulars, as many stores didn't, 
Um, and th- I think this is what caused this so-called riot between retailers and Marvel execs at uh, New York City Comic Con. Um, I didn't change the numbers for the legacy. I whatever Captain America was selling at at eight copies, nine copies. That's exactly what I brought in. That issue came out this week. Eight copies went on the shelf as of today. When it came out yesterday, and I looked at the shelf today, of the eight copies, I still had six there. Oh. And I'm going into Friday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, it seems that obviously they're trying to, they're, they're looking at the what they've done with their product. I, I know I interrupted you, forgive me, but in, I've been looking at this legacy stuff. It really looks like they're either trying to say, okay, we've lost the customer base, let's get them back. Or they're trying to say, DC did this rebirth thing where they reach back to, and they're basically banking on nostalgia. And if it's not working for them. Right. I think the difference, uh, now, we are fully aware that DC kind of fell on their face um, roughly a year and a half ago um, when they brought the DCU initiative forward, which... There was nothing wrong with any of those books. The problem is they brought it out at the same time where you had two of your pillars in your universe being Batman, who was not Batman. It was Jim Gordon in a robot bunny suit. And (laughs) Superman was depowered and not himself. So you basically kicked the two pillars out that you could depend on for sales, started this new initiative, and people kind of pushed back. Now, DC felt that, and they seen that. Now, the difference I'm seeing as a fan and as a retailer is DC acknowledged it. They, they came face front and basically said, okay, we're, we, we've noticed that people are upset, and we don't want to upset you. You know, we put our faith in you, and maybe we overreached a bit, so we're going to try something different, and we're going to bring back the love and the fun and the relationships within the comics for you to feel familiar with. And then we'll go from there and expand on some ideas. I'm going to argue with you though. I'm going to argue with you because I would say it started a lot earlier. 2011 with the new 52 was a huge sales bump for everybody. Oh, but maybe, maybe only a year. And then DC sales were down below, at least when I, the shops I was frequenting, down below where they were even before New 52. And so they mm-hmm. struggled with the New 52 for a long time. They actually became combative with their customers, telling for the customers, sure. no, you're wrong. You should enjoy these comics. You don't get yeah. it. You're not smart enough. And, they, and then <laughs> the DCU was just, as far as I was concerned, was or whatever it was called, the, the Starfire stuff with, uh, and, and yeah. they, where they um, yeah, burn-sided everything or whatever they said. Mm-hmm. Um that was just the last straw. And then yes. suddenly DC said, oh, mea culpa. And it, interestingly enough, everyone forgave DC. Everyone was like, well, okay. it's a, well, well, It's amazing, though, that the Rebirth special. Yes. Whatever it was, 80 pages at two ninety nine mm-hmm. or whatever. Even that, just doing that yeah. what was an apology. And boy, right. did they get so much goodwill. The content of the story was everything but an apology. I mean, it was right. an apology. Yes, it I mean, was. Yes, it, it was, was everything absolutely. except except literally having the words "we are sorry." Right, uh, right. But it was and, an apology, and I th- and you know it took them a little while to get there, like Shag said. But that seems to have bought so much goodwill. It did. It did. Um, um, and and this and this is exactly where I was going to with the difference. Um, we we've all seen, um, unfortunately, Marvel as itself 
not it's all they don't want to acknowledge they've put blame on many many things um you know we've seen them throw artists and writers under the bus um to the point of even blaming the election for the bad <laughs> sale so it's 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 everything but what dc did i mean in the most recent and and sometimes when i i see this stuff I, i'm i'm baffled where you know they where they said well you know we some of these writers were writing to their own tune and it's well who if that's the problem who let it out the door where is editorial now are are, are do, do they not exist i mean it it's it's very funny um I really don't think, I mean, and a lot of people keep screaming diversity, and that may be a small issue, but, you know, I mean, I think some of the, some of the books do have value. I have, a, I have a young man who has been buying the Iceman comic since it changed, and he is a very soft-spoken, very polite young man, and I think this book and the content of this book is helping him in his own life with maybe some decisions and some finding some answers. So do I feel that book has great value for that young man? Absolutely. So I don't think it's the diversity. I think it's, I think it's more, a lot of people are looking at, like I've had customers actually say to me, do you think and they, they could be right, and I, I, I won't put my opinion out there, but they've said to me, do you think maybe them changing these icon iconic characters and younging them up or hipping them up is so they are actually storyboarding for the next movie with their icons on the screen getting older and not going to be able to be in these roles soon? It's a tough question to answer. Well, I think there's absolutely so, some truth in that. I mean, we all know Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Helmsworth and Chris Evans are only going to be on the screen so long. So they need some right. IP ready to go behind that. So there's right. some possibility to that. Now, I'm going to take another opposite position for just a second here. That's okay. And I was reading an interesting article today about saying everyone's sort of like, you know, diversity shaming Marvel right now. Where mm -hmm. they're saying, in this position, this person took was actually that that's not what's killing Marvel because Marvel sales sucked before this anyway. Truthfully, uh, yeah. it, is that it's Marvel's consistent program they've been using for 10, 15 years of doing a book for nine months to twelve months and relaunching it with a new number one and having not necessarily a connection to the previous volume. You know, how many times right. has Mighty Avengers relaunched? How many different X Men books have they relaunched? How many different Avengers books have they relaunched? I mean. I bought Avengers for years and years and years and years, and I go into a store now, I can't figure out what the frick is going on with what book right. is what. And so their argument was the constant restarting of books, constant creative team shifts was what was killing Marvel. Now, there are companies that do it well. I know um, Alan and I both like what Titan's doing, where they're restarting every year with Doctor Who, but there's some creative sure. consistency there. So is right. that part of what's killing Marvel? I think there's there's a combination on that though. I think it's not only the rebooting, but the also the overmarketing, where you have to have six different Avengers books out, and you know five different Spider-Man books, and three Captain Americas. You know, 
I think it's it's just oversaturating the market, and that drives people away because it's just too hard to keep a handle on. And with the individual costs being what they are in each book, it just adds up too quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Another thing that I th- I, th- I think DC is has shied away from, and partly it's because they you know their new version of their universe is still pretty young, and I don't know that they did this major in the new 52 either and that is the line wide crossover you know you'll have maybe like quote-unquote family crossovers you know where Mm -hmm. the four the four batman books might overlap for a month or two and tell a story but marvel's events were ridiculous yes in terms of secret wars and some of those other things that if you wanted the story how much it was going to actually cost you i mean i have a line in the quarter bin promo about events that'll cost a hundred dollars to collect, yeah. and I think there's some there's some truth to that. Uh, there is some truth to that. Uh, yeah. Recently, that's been more of a Marvel phenomenon than a DC, though. I certainly don't put it past DC to mess that up again in a few years. But no, and I I think I remember oh, years ago, and I think it was, and I don't want to I I don't want to put the words in the man's mouth, but I'm almost positive that it was brian michael bendis who said that they were going to try and do marvel comics in seasons almost like tv shows where we do 13 issues and that would be a season and then we'd start it again at a number one and that would be a season and that was the mold they used as as shag said now the thing is doing that is you're exactly right nobody cares those 13 issues come out and once it's done, and once they sit in my back issue bin, nobody wants them. Never mind trying to find which volumes which. I mean, you know, we had one volume of Amazing Spider-Man when we were young men. And since the 2000s, there's been four more. Mm. So it yeah, is. It is hard. It's, it's, it's how do you get people to care when it feels like there's nothing to care about? Or that it's going to start over. You you get invested in something, but then it's going to, you know, it's it's going to relaunch on you, and so you're going to lose either the creative team or the direction that you were following. Right, exactly. I mean, in that the the, the Amazing Spider-Man's perfect example. The one volume was the whole uh, Silk storyline where she was discovered, and it ran for a few issues, and then we had or where we had Superior before that, and which was a great storyline. And then we got into the silk business and then all of a sudden that stopped and Peter Parker was a millionaire. And it's almost like, well, the volume before, how does that play into this volume? And then when people realize it really doesn't, well, then why would I buy the back issues or why would I even buy the trade of it? Cause I don't need it. It doesn't, doesn't enhance what I'm reading now or take away from what I'm reading. So there's a disconnect between all the volumes for sure. For this, from even in the storylines, there's a disconnect. Well, Titan has certainly figured out this model because their seasons are excellent. Now, I'm going to throw and another they, question and, out and, there. And, and, and oh. Shag, they brand it. They, yep. They're not hiding it. It is Doctor Who, the 11th Doctor, year two. I mean, that is, it's, it's a mouthful. Is it an issue six? <laughs> but that's the name <laughs> of the book. So right. Dark you can at least organize it. Dark Horse has been able to use the model of, and I mean, you know, Hellboy started this off, but if you look at a lot of the Dark Horse stuff, they're not saying they're miniseries, but what they're doing are just Mm -hmm. four-issue series. 
so be it Conan, so be it Hellboy. It's like a four issue story. That's it. And then the next one is four issues with a different title. And it's almost like you can opt in or you can opt out with the subject matter. And it's not hurting anybody's feelings. It's the uh, old model that the Venom miniseries and the Lobo miniseries (laughs) followed in the 90s. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It really is. All right, so yeah. I'm going to throw another curveball at you. So We've talked a lot about Marvel sales, and okay. I've got a lot of articles about Marvel sales flagging. One thing that no one has brought up, I don't see anyone ask, so I'm going to ask it here. Okay. Could Marvel Unlimited, where you pay a subscription fee and you get everything digitally, could that be playing a role? And before you even answer, I'm going to tell you you're biased, Rob, because <laughs> you work in a store. So the customers you talk to are the guys who still buy paper. But actually, you you, you know what? Uh, And and this this may surprise you. Am I a proponent of digital comics? Yes, I am. Now, one of the things we were going to get to is where do new readers come from, right? There are new readers? Really? There is new readers. (laughs) I have new readers every week. I have new people come in. And if I feel that somebody is a little hesitant... Or a little gun shy in the sense of I'm trying to put the right thing in their hands, but sometimes they're still a little not sure. They may be maybe a a younger person, maybe about 13, 14, and they're not quite sure if it's something they want to get into, something they want to even accumulate because tangible items accumulate, right? I would point them in the direction of try it digitally and see what you think. If you like it, you're more than welcome to come back, and we will find some tangibility <laughs> for you. So, and I, I and, and, and I, but but I think a percentage of those people who want the tangibility may be trade purchasers. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, I have a lot of people. It, it's kind of funny. I think most of my customers, what they do, and 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 this is no knock to when I name these companies. But a lot of my customers have found a balance that their trades, they love to read everything in trades. And what they'll do is use some of the floppies as almost filler in between their trades coming (laughs) in. I will have many people that will buy Saga, East of West, Manifest Destiny in trade form, but they still want to read comics. So they may have a pull list of maybe five Marvel and DCs mixed in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So past the time. Yes. It's 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 almost like people are filling. It's almost like they're filling in the wait for the next season of Game of Thrones with issues of Stranger Things. <laughs> no, that's a very good right. analogy. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I think one of the things you know Shag is 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 getting at is that. We've moved from a CD culture to a streaming culture. From For a sure. DVD, from a DVD culture to a streaming culture, we don't we don't need to own as many things um, as long as they are available to Absolutely. us. We, we want to use them, not not necessarily to to have to own them. And and you know, I think uh, you know, comics have that has to happen to comics eventually. It and, and it will. And I and do do I think. Um, I believe Marvel could possibly be the first company that could actually maybe even go digital only. Um, I think 
the problem most people are having with the, the most I hear about digital from people that want to do it digitally is the cost of a digital copy is the same as a print copy. Yeah. So it's almost like they feel that I'm not getting any ownership of something. So it's almost like they still want to collect comics. They just want to collect them in digital files to go back and revisit. <laughs> that could be. Well, all right. Yeah. I'm going to throw. And I totally understand that. I'm going to throw a kink at you, though, uh, with okay. where my original question was, was is Marvel being impacted specifically by Marvel Unlimited? Because rather than paying that full price, that three ninety nine for your digital comic, you pay 70 bucks a year. And you got access sure. to 15,000 Marvel comics. And all you got to do is wait six months, and every new comic that Marvel publishes is there. I, I'm which, a perfect which example. Is, which is the same, about the same duration you would wait if you were trade waiting. Yeah, that's true. It's true enough. I, I, I have 50 – I'm not 50. I have 49 lawn boxes in my garage, okay? Okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physical guy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but I – in a lot of ways. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> I have a Marvel Unlimited subscription, and I love it. I read more Marvel than anything now because it's so easy. It's the Netflix of comics. And right, sure. DC doesn't have it. Comicsology is unlimited version. Sorry, folks. If you love it, uh, God bless you. I can't stand it. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not that good. And yeah. – um. I, I used to buy Daredevil and I used to buy Hawkeye. Those were my two Marvel books I was buying. I stopped right. buying them because it was the same amount of money, basically, to get the Marvel Unlimited subscription, and I just read it digitally now. Right. So, ha- um, it, so my question was: Has the unlimited service they offer actually ended up hurting them in the market? Are there more people like uh, me? I think for sure, in some aspects, uh, yeah. I think I think with I think another aspect too is like we said. The weight of this six months. Um, I think a lot of people that are reading comics, I mean, okay, it, it's almost a matter of every time a Marvel movie comes out, I see people rush the gate to be in there for the first night, second night, third night, almost like they can't wait. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of comic readers are also the same. In the sense of a you know civil you know if secret empire comes out they don't want to be left out in not knowing what's going on but i think other people they're absolutely in tune with it and they have no problem waiting the six months at all um i'll, I'll tell you a secret you might have to edit this out because it may take the allure away from me <laughs> but i don't collect any modern comics you're, you're among them. good friends. <laughs> I, I, I have to read for my job. I will bring some copies home. I read them, and they go back to the store. So am I a digital reader myself? Yes, also. Also. Um, in the sense of I can be anywhere and pick that up and read it. I can stop when I want to. I'm not accumulating either. I mean, with the hundred plus boxes I have in my comic room, I know if I want to have an extended life. Forty nine long boxes. Yeah. If I want to have an extended life, I should not bring many more comics into the house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why does shag have 49 boxes because his wife said you're not going to bring 50 boxes of comics into this house <laughs> the limit's 50 that's right that's where she she goes over the line at that point 
But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I, I think the Marvel Unlimited app is is amazing. I mean, I question some of the the, the stuff that's not there. But you know, I mean, I guess that's the old fart in me also. Because sure, in I, in I, terms I, of going, um, yeah, in, in in terms of going all digital, you know, potentially, I think there is something there because even though Marvel is just a teeny tiny portion of the Walt Disney Corporation. Yes. You see Disney sort of doing that with some of their other properties, mm-hmm. pulling their properties off of Netflix in a few years to have right. control of that channel, to, to control the distribution. It's mm-hmm. their they, – they own the product. They want to put it on their, on their uh, delivery system, on their, right. own stream, on their own streaming service. And I could see a similar thing with the comic books. The idea of you know if this is working for Disney overall, it could work with uh, it could work with the uh, the the teeny part of Disney that's that Marvel Comics is. Same idea, you know, we can control the content and we can control the distribution of it. So what right. you're suggesting is them dropping physical print altogether, dropping from the comic stores, pulling from Comicsology, and saying if you want your Marvel Comics, you got to get it from the Marvel Comics Unlimited app, or it merges with the Disney app. Is that what you're suggesting? Possibly, or or at least for floppies. Yeah. At least for floppies. You know, maybe maybe keeping the deals with the with the big bookstores for the trades. Well, actually, Marvel reduced their trade paperback program with the big bookstores. Uh, in fact, if you go into the big bookstores, I mean, they still carry them, but if you if they have a clear, clearance area, it's packed full of Marvel trades mm-hmm. because uh, Marvel was trying to clear them out at one point. Uh, I don't know what the current arrangement is, but I do remember when Books a Million was just. Liquidating almost oh, right. all their marvel sure. trades. Yeah, we um we had access to, and there's another one that's just popped up recently that uh, is is knee deep in Marvel omnibuses and hardcovers and trades that they've deep deep discounted once again. Um, it's it's on. I think it's Diamonds Blizzard uh, sale that they usually have in the winter, and it's huge and. There's a mass amount of stuff in there, and I mean, we we actually have a center part of the store that is actually a rotunda of fifty percent off trades and hardcovers, and we buy into these sales, and we 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 move a lot of stuff that way too. Right. Is it uh, mostly Marvel? Uh, it's always Marvel. Yep, that's what I figured. Yep, it's always uh, Marvel. Me, and and let me ask you this, Rob. Those those of us who are consumers can answer this as well um the again the the main store that we're that we're going to our main uh where our pull box is that store is mostly a comic store uh, mm-hmm. they have some posters over in the corner and some actually some of the pretty expensive figurines and you know and that stuff that that more high-end high-end stuff yeah. but the majority of that store uh happens to be happens to be comic books uh a sort yeah. of how does that break down for you? Your we, comics is in the name of the store. Yes, uh, but, we, but what else? What else do you does the business do to keep itself afloat? Um, yeah, me and uh, Shag were talking. We we're throwing this earlier around. Um, our store sales pretty much fifty um, percent of the sales would be from Magic the Gathering and Pokemon combined, and fifty percent would be comic books. New comic books, back issues. A small sliver of that 100%, I'd probably say about 15%, would be 
merch in the sense of statues, action figures, pop figures. Um, we, um, we pride ourselves on being a traditional comic book store. We are the only store probably within a 60-mile radius that actually has back issue bins and wall comics. Mm. So we, um, and I've noticed a trend that started happening maybe in the past four months. And it kind of, it kind of does my heart proud. I've been seeing lots of people buying lots and lots of pre nineties back issues. Mm. Hmm. Almost like a trend is happening again. And I've been watching it carefully. Um, but, and, and all walks of life, all age people. I mean, I, it, and it just dawned on me, maybe, like I said, about two, three months ago where I started paying attention and the, the, how many times I was filling up some of the bins. I mean, I've had to fill Batman, X-Men, X-Factor, Cable, um, Detective, you know, early Avengers issues more often than I have in probably the six years I've been there. And I don't know what started it. I don't know what is what is driving these people, but um, it's fantastic. Bless them. That's great. <laughs> yes. Just uh, from a financial perspective, something that non-comic shop employees don't think about, back issues. Um, because all of us nerds, we go into comic shop and we want to see a bunch of long boxes, right? That's what we want to see, sure. With, whether sure. they be back issues or cheap bins. That's what we like because we're old farts. Now, mm -hmm. there's a whole other component there is those back issues take up a certain amount of square footage in your store. For and sure. you have to do the math on this. And, and, and I know Rob knows what I'm talking about here, but I, I never thought about it until I worked for a comic book shop. You have to look at the ratio. You have to say, okay, this takes up X amount of square footage. If it's not clearing that amount of same square footage of rent that I'm paying for this space – then I have got to get rid of these back issues. And because and so when you go into a store and you see they don't have back issues, that's probably because they made a mathematical economic decision <laughs> yeah. that those sure. back issues were not bringing in enough revenue for the square footage they had to pay. So that's why they had to bring in the pop vinyls that you're sick of seeing or the T-shirt mm -hmm. rack that, you know, that's full of T-Fury shirts or whatever it is. Um, and so there – that's a bit of a frustration for nerds everywhere when they go, oh man, they got no back issues. Well, it's because your friends didn't buy them. So. Yeah, true enough. I accept that as, as kind of a fact of life that these stores, you know, not catering to my needs kind of goes with the fact that I'm not supporting them and my dog agrees. Um, <laughs> but. You know, it, it, there is a frustration factor because you you kind of you kind of look on the rest of the fandom to carry the weight for you, right? And, and they're not. But you know, when when you see, uh, for example, there's a store at our local mall here, Newberg Comics. I'm not sure now if it's Newberg or Newberry, whatever it is. But you know, I thought, wow, there's a store in the mall, you know, comic store in the mall. Until I went in there, and uh, the comics section is limited to about maybe ten square feet. <laughs> and there's trades and a couple of new issues, and that's about it. The rest of the store is pop figures, T-shirts, uh, what you call it, vinyl albums, which have made a resurgence of late. Crazy. Uh, you know, and, and things of that nature. I'm not offended by the fact that they're selling that, but I am offended that they call themselves a comic store. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Um, yeah, it, I, I it's agree. Just, it is disappointing. You know, I just had a thought, by the way. I'm going to touch back just a second for what Rob was saying. Maybe what's causing the increase in sales in your area is people are finding out it's cheaper to buy old issues of Sleepwalker for kindling than actually buy firewood because winter's coming <laughs> in Canada. Quite possibly. Well, I, I've, I've had a resurgence of buying, you know, filling up holes in my collection in the Bronze and, you know, Bronze Age, Silver Age, and, you know, somewhat just slightly past the Bronze Age with a few series, but mostly Bronze Age. And part of my motivation is that my collector's bug got rekindled, but also I can get those issues, which I personally value much higher, for cheaper than it would cost me to buy new books that I don't like as much. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I, I go and, you know, I mean, I'm looking at buying books, you know, sometimes in 25 cent bins, but if I want to go nuts, you know, I went to New York, <laughs> New York Comic Con and I, and I went a little crazy and I was buying books that were one and two dollars. What? But, you know, Alan, you, Alan's going to drop off the car. <laughs> <laughs> that is cheap. That that is cheaper than three or four dollars. Oh yeah, significant the new books. Yeah, that's a good. Point. And they're books which I again I personally value much higher. Uh, and honestly, I think the price guide values them much higher as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Uh, go back. We, we've mentioned uh, the the Funko Pops uh, a couple of times. I have to say because I am a actual tenured business professor. That as of this recording, yesterday, the Funko Company went on the NASDAQ stock market. Gee! Had its public initial public offering. Stock symbol FNKO, in case you're interested, went public yesterday. So someone thinks that that trend is going to continue. These are the well, wow. What they're doing is they're making collectibles that are popular. I mean, that's the first thing. You've got to make things that are going to catch people's eyes. But they're also affordable. The price point. Yeah, yeah, the price point is generally somewhere around ten bucks a piece. Which, when you think about it, ten bucks for a hunk of plastic is a little pricey. But but in the collector's market, they're not that bad. If you're thinking Christmas Christmas presents, birthday presents, exactly, it's perfect. You know, priced perfectly for that. And and the smart thing is, they can follow whatever pop culture thing is out there. You know, this mm-hmm. year they're doing Game Things of Thrones and, you know, and Hulk and, and Thor. And in five years, when the next big trend is, they'll be doing those. So, but now the other argument is you could look at the Japanese culture. These, these, what they used to call back in the eighties, super deformed is basically what this product is. It's, they used to call these, they used to make things like this, call them super deformed, um, was big for a number of years. And I'm then not it, sure if that's a good marketing title. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think that was I think the English. Funko Pop might be the, might be a winner. Branding I think wise. that was probably the English, you know, uh, uh, interpretation of that word, but, uh, that 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 fad died, just like this Funko fad will eventually burn itself out. Yeah, well, like every fad. Yeah, that's why they're will fads. There be another? <laughs> will there be another big whatever the next big fad is? Will it support the comic book characters, or will it be something else entirely, and the comic book stuff gets left behind? So we don't know. Well, like you said, with the Funko thing, it doesn't necessarily support the comic book characters. It supports them to the extent that they're popular right now. Five yeah. years from now, if Funko is still a thing. If comic book movies have gone by the wayside at that point, which I, I don't know, the, I think five years they'll still be around, but at whatever point the comic book movies stop being popular, then those you know figures or whatever the current iteration of them is will stop making comic book figures. Well, once Marvel does that Quest Probe movie, it's all over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, all right, I want to I touch on something. As we've been talking a lot about comic sales and what this pop culture stuff does for it, I mean, one of the things that's hard to tell is no one really knows how many comic books – 
readers there are nowadays or how many units of comic books are moving because you can get the numbers from uh you know various sources for what's going on from diamond let's say but that's just going to tell you mainly the comic book shops we don't know how many trades are being moved the comic companies are extremely secretive about what's going on with digital sales nobody has any idea how many digital sales are happening no one knows about these subscription things so we don't have a real picture so when we were sitting here talking about marvel struggling and things like that think about the numbers that rob said Eight copies of Captain America. I mean, come on, eight copies? Really? And, and you're being successful in these things. So you go back 20 years, they were, you know, we'd ordered 200 copies of X Men. So what's really going on with the numbers? And, and, and I think that maybe we're moving some deck chairs around in the Titanic, you know, to some extent, because comic book companies, I think, I think we're on the verge of another bust because. Yes. You think so, too? Okay. Because I'm seeing the exact same patterns repeat from my era in the 90s. I'm seeing mm-hmm. all the number ones. I mean, gosh, Star Wars number one was ridiculous. The speculators going on with that and all the with the 100 different varied covers. The trick covers with the lenticular crap that Marvel and DC are both been doing. Um, the oversaturation. The, the industry is struggling. It, it seems to be every month they are trying to outdo their sales from the previous year or the previous quarter and they're going for a short-term cash grab which is why you keep getting all the relaunches number ones in the miniseries and the lenticular covers and all that bull crap uh or <laughs> dc's wonderful wtf month you know whatever um that was a real thing by the way and uh, anyway they're going for these monthly cash grabs rather than investing in the long term and so i think we're screaming right towards another bust and unfortunately it's not even that big of a boom to go so, no. I, I so you're, you're you're thinking I might be along the right right lines here, huh? Yes, I mean, however, though the the one thing I can say, and I mean, through through any of the the joy, the doom, and the gloom that I have to talk about on a daily basis, um, I do think the hobby is healthy. However, I think it's how people are parting with their money and what they're buying um people i've noticed okay right now as as i talked about Mar- my my highest ordered marvel comic is amazing spider-man at 22 copies and i've sold out the past two months and i've had to do a reorder for a few now in comparison to dc's flagship being batman right now I was bringing in 30 copies of Batman, 22 copies of Amazing Spider-Man. I had to up Batman by another 10 the next month. I sold out again. I upped it to 60. This week, 60 copies were gone by the end of Wednesday. DC Metal, I'm burning through almost 70 copies in one day. Wow. So... It's a matter of where the money is being spent. And the, the what I'm having trouble with right now is not only am I trying to balance the number of Marvels to bring in, I'm also trying to balance the number of DCs to bring in because I'm finding my regular customers will always keep me informed of what their likes and what their 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 not likes are. But many of my walk-ins who they come in every week and they just want to get their books and they don't they're they they don't like to communicate you know i mean beyond a simple conversation they don't let me know and then all of a sudden they've switched from marvel to dc and i'm out of dc by saturday completely 
I have like one copy of Hellblazer left on the shelf. So um, I, I I still think the hobby is it is healthy, but it's just a matter of where they're putting their money. Um, I think people still want to read comics. I still think they want to collect comics. I still think they want to be involved. And I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody is coming into my store with $60, their intent is to give me that $60. Mm -hmm. With my help, they prefer my help in guiding them on spending $60 wisely as opposed to spending $60 on um, five minutes of fantasy to be forgettable. Yep. But, um, yeah, so, uh, but do I think there's a reckoning on the horizon? I agree. Um, I think it's just a matter of, uh, as we were talking earlier, I've tried my damnedest to be in front of this in the sense of shoring up numbers when I have to, getting the right amounts in, not ordering something that is going to languish and that will sell. I mean, I, I, I can take a chance on a small Euro comic that's been translated for the first time and two copies of that and make sure it goes into the right hands and make $80 off of that as opposed to bringing in 40 copies of the next incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy, which would cost me the same and hope it sells. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's just... Um, you had but, mentioned, Rob, the the um, the Marvel, the latest Marvel initiative, and mm-hmm. that there was a pushback from many retailers, including including yours. Uh, could yes. you just sort of I- explain what had happened and what Marvel was trying? How, from my perspective, um, they were trying to strong arm you guys, and <laughs> and is the fact that you fought back pretty unique? Uh, is I that think, a trend? Is that a change? I, I think I, I think this this is a change and possibly a trend um hopefully it won't be an an abused trend if that makes sense um i I think this was the first time a coalition of retailers were like no we are not doing this we are not buying into this and what it was is marvel had this legacy initiative that came out tied to it were lenticular covers that they had advertised, which had a homage cover and a new cover flipped back and forth, and it would go, you'd get two two different uh, pictures in it. Now, when they were first advertised, we were under the assumption, no different than DC, when they did the button crossover, that these lenticular covers would be, I could order as many as I wanted to. But no, they put a ratio percentage on these books um for example uh amazing spider-man um the newest issue which was 790 something it eludes me sorry but i could order the lenticular covers if i did if i met or exceeded 170 percent on Amazing Spider-Man, I think it was 27, which basically is, it was the same volume, it's just legacy numbering. So when we did the math, when I did the math, because I'm the guy who does 
the ordering of the comics with the blessing of the boss, of course, you know, when it gets into fine tuning, I always converse with him. But I looked at it and I was like, why on earth? If I'm selling at the time, I was selling 18 copies of Amazing Spider-Man. And they would want you to roughly buy 30 ish. Right. To get this bonus deal. To qualify. To have the the honor of ordering (laughs) the lenticular covers. So So you got to, so you got to, not only do you have to clear the 30 regular cover Spider-Mans when you're only selling 22 or 18, you then are going to have to clear however many lenticulars you order. Right. Gotcha. I I just feel like the whole lenticular thing is just another. Just a hole in the industry that they're waiting for you to step in. Yeah, yeah. It's modern day chromium. But it's just, yeah, it's just. But I love the, whole... the fact. I love the fact in this case that enough retailers said no. I, mean, uh, I, I think that's big. It, it was very big. I mean, when I first said we weren't doing it to my boss, he was somewhat. Um, I thought his heart had stopped for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I explained it to him, and I said, "Okay, um, follow me here." And I worked it out with him. And, you know, of course, he was nervous. He was very nervous, you know, because the the, the first thing that goes through your mind is like, oh, am I going to be am I going to be the outcast here? Am I going to be the guy who doesn't do it? And then people just go elsewhere. Are we going to offend our customers by not buying into this? But we stuck to our guns and we didn't do it. And then the news came out that, you know, Lone Star Comics, you know, mycomicshop.com was not buying into this. And then Jesse James Comics were not buying into this. So a lot of the big boys were not buying into this. And that's when I I was more reassured in my own thinking. And I I kept Rich, my boss, you know, on top of this and let him know. And I said, we're going to be okay. It's okay. And then the first week started and we had no lenticular covers and i had one customer at that entire week asked for them mm. one customer. so at most you say so you saved whatever would be another 15 copies or so that you had to order and you at right. most may have lost one sale right and th- th- this is what led to the the uh, so-called riot at new york city comic-con in the marvel retailer meeting they had where marvel stood up there and presented what was next again and then it came down to the q a and most retailers and most of the retailers that spoke were retailers that did buy into this and were upset that they listened to marvel they they put their faith in marvel and it didn't pan out now I know it got down to a lot of mudslinging and a lot of slurs were thrown around, and I don't condone that myself. But I also understand that that was quite a few people that could possibly lose their business because of decisions like this. So I could understand the anger too. But mm-hmm. at the end of it, when going back to the conversation we had in the beginning, Marvel still did not acknowledge this. So. They've been playing the variant game for many, many months. You know, order 50 copies of this and you'll get this copy. Well, I mean, we've found we are not a variant store by any stretch of the imagination. The only variants I bring in are variants I qualify for with the copies that I do order. Mm -hmm. So if it's an order all you want, now DC has 
dual covers every month. And I will order 15, say, of the regular copy, and then four of the variants. So there's a few for people to have the option. But they cost me the same amount across the board. It's just I'm adjusting numbers. If I'm ordering 20, I'm ordering 15 and 5. Mm-hmm. Very easy. But I am not going to increase a book's numbers all in the hopes that I can get a variant and right. hope to sell it. Oh, but, um, but, Rob, how in 15 years would these potential Spider-Man books end up in the quarter bins if you never o- over-order in the first place? Answer <laughs> well, me that. I'm doing my darn <laughs> So, yeah, it's um, like I say, it's it's um, it, it 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 was kind of refreshing in the sense that the comics retailers found a common ground, and it was it was almost like one voice was able to be risen in the sense of enough is enough. But the thing is, we're not quite sure if they got the message or not. <laughs> I think the important lesson is something you just said there, Rob. Enough is enough. Yeah. I'm referring to this episode, actually. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are we about at a good place, gentlemen, where we think we have solved all the industry's problems by now? I, honestly, I think we've solved none of the industry's problems, but I think we've pinpointed <laughs> what they are. I still think Rob's you know, a liar for saying that new young people come in and read comics, but whatever. You know what? There are new young people that come into my experience, but they are probably one tenth of the new young readers from when we were young. Mm. Yes, that's the problem. It's not enough to support the industry. Uh, No, no. Um, And I find actually, you know, as an afterthought, I find most of the younger people, even when they do come in and they speak to me and we get them set up with some stuff, you know, they don't want the new comics either. (laughs) (laughs) you know i sell a lot of epic collections from marvel and a lot of the older reprinted dc stuff than i do any of the newer stuff to these younger generation believe it or not i think i can speak for paul and say you know the bronze age is welcome for anybody yes (laughs) anybody come and find those find those back issues Mm -hmm. my son's got two long boxes in his in his room which he Tells me he spends time going through sometimes. And he just turned 20. I would say 90% of what's in there is at least 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, Emily's first love in comics was those Bronze Age books. Yep. In the uh, 70s and 80s. Okay, the 90s uh, are coming back into fashion, people. Oh my. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. You know, they, it is. I sell a heck of a lot of Spawn. Oh my gosh. And it's still <laughs> going strong. It well, is. it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> well this has been an absolute hoot this has been really nice to hear rob's uh, you know modern day perspective uh, up against us other old men who are just crotchety and mean and uh your enthusiasm sir has been wonderful and i've been all doom and gloom so i apologize but this has been a lot of fun guys thank you yeah i've had a great time i agree as well and rob it's a pleasure to have met you with this and uh i enjoyed you know, mostly I sat back and listened, but I think that made it more enjoyable for everyone who listens. <laughs> well, I guess this is where we should each uh, sign off from our various networks, don't you think? Alan? Thanks for listening from all of us. 
at Relatively Geeky. And thank you from the Two True Freaks Network, specifically Back to the Bins. Thank you from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And thank you from all five of us in Canada. <laughs> uh, thank you know I, I want to just take a second thank you Alan for uh, suggesting that we do this oh what was it about a year ago that we, when I started talking <laughs> yeah, we about started it. Kick, kicking the the funny thing was back then I didn't know Rob so this this waiting was perfect yes that was, it was all all carefully planned <laughs> and, and I realized, you know I'm not I'm not here to be matchmaker but Paul Rob back to the bins guest I'm just saying anyway Mm, uh, that's all. I, no I, th- I think something can be arranged. <laughs> Anytime, I love that show. Thank you, thank you very much. Keep uh, keep sending me updates, Rob, on those digests that you see come through because those have been great. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And any 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 time you have a book that's ready to fall apart, you know what box yes. to put it in. Yes, you you are always in my mind. <laughs> Rob sends me books that as I'm reading them, they're falling apart. Like I am the last reader of this book ever. Yep. Works for me. <laughs> It's where old comics go to die. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think Rob says, no, I can't put this in the court. No, no one's going to pay for it. Send it to Middleton. Okay. He'll, yeah, read, he'll, yeah. he'll read anything. Sometimes I hand it to little kids and they hand it back. Thanks. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, so, sometimes, you know, books, books, books from the 90s stink in one way. Sometimes books from the 70s actually stink they yeah actually have liter- an odor to them. <laughs> they have an odor to it yeah absolutely well that's that's what i was talking about when i the, the smell in my old comic store oh yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> well we used to people used to bring us trunks of old comics and it always had that smell in it although in one of those trunks i did find professor allen a copy of fantastic four number four number five number five Doom's nice. first appearance. Dr. Doom. I sat down in the back room on my lunch break with my own hands and read that comic because uh, I had, to, even though I'd read the story before, I had to read that you know <laughs> physical copy of Fantastic Four number five. It was great. It's a wonderful experience. Um, and by the way, I'm doing my part to try and keep kids reading comics. I uh, yeah, you know, Halloween this week, I did get uh, about a hundred uh, oh, of the, uh, the Halloween mini comics. Mini yeah. comics. And it was successful. I had about 115 of them. I successfully gave away about 90, I think. Nice. I was pleased with that. I I like that as a practice. I think that's a great thing that you do. I just wish Marvel and DC would... They don't do it anymore, at least unless I missed something, Rob. But, like, they used to do a Spider-Man book or a Thor book. You know, they always tried to tie it in with the movies. And DC would do one. And it seems like now um, doing is is the larger size ones that cost you guys more. Yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's been the norm for the past couple of years. What was that? It's been the norm for the past couple of years. They do the uh, larger size ones, right? So you know right. they're they're they, they get to make a buck. Right, exactly. Which you can't yeah. really give away. I can't buy a hundred of those. So <laughs> no. Again, that's the problem with the industry that we already kind of went into. They're, they're feeding on themselves and refuse to look towards the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Titanic deck chairs. Just saying. All right. Yep. So we're talking and about the band, and the band played on. We're talking about Black Friday. Is that correct? For yes. I that would, yeah. Who is doing what for this? <laughs> oh, gotta go. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. 
Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.